Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23. One of my favorite things about having summer now fully arrived, as this week we'll turn the calendar to June 1st, is that our family will soon be headed to Colorado in just a few weeks. We love going to Colorado. We typically go a week before many of us head up to family camp, and we spend some time with my parents. Um, and we do love them, and we love to spend time with them. And we also really love to spend time outside. And so we leave them at home and go hiking and fishing and looking for adventure anywhere we can in the beauty of the mountains. We also love just to drive around and witness one breathtaking view after another. Over the years, as we have driven from scene to scene, Jamie and I have had the same conversation multiple times. Maybe you've had this conversation with friends, your spouse as well. We want to know if the people who live in that kind of beautiful scenery, if it ever becomes so familiar to them, it just becomes common. Has anybody ever asked that question? Yeah. No one who's visited North Texas has ever left asking that question. But yet she is ours. Well, this morning we begin a four-part sermon series in Psalm 23 entitled, The Good Shepherd. By now, you've likely turned in your Bible already to a very familiar view contained in these stunning verses. And I wonder right off the bat if there's anyone who may think to themselves, oh yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah, I've read that already. And you'd be right. There are few places in the whole of Scripture that we are more acquainted with. This poem contains some of the most often quoted words in the English language. And so, let me warn us not to view this text with the mindless familiarity of a morning commute, but with our eyes open to the beauty and transcendence and wonder of the God who wrote them, and this magnificent reality that we have been welcomed into contained in Psalm 23. Others of you have walked this well-worn path many times before, and it seems perhaps with each year that the contours of Psalm 23 become more and more stunning to you. Maybe you memorized this passage as, uh, as a child. Some of you, uh, when we come to this text, remember it being read at a funeral at a dearly loved one. Some of you have uh, rehearsed this song and made it your own in the midst of uh, heart-wrenching suffering in your life. And so to some of us, this is like a warm welcome to a place that we are thankfully familiar with. But regardless of your first impression on hearing that we spend the next month in Psalm 23, I pray that each of us might find these God-breathed words to be a source of instruction and even oxygen to our souls, that we would breathe deeply in the truth of Psalm 23. These six verses are worth more than a library of books. They're more valuable than a library of books. It's in them is a lifetime of help to us If we keep coming to them with our eyes open, ready to see truth, and our hearts open, ready to hear God speaking 
to us. You can keep coming back to the Word of God, the same passages you've looked at again and again and again, and they will become familiar, but they will never become common. They cannot become common. They are anything but common, for they are God's very words. This week when I was studying this passage and rehearsing Psalm 23, turning it over again and again in my mind, I was struck with the reality once again of who our God is in this glorious condescension that he has given us in pursuing us, coming to us in such a remarkable way to know us, to lead us, to protect and feed us. He shepherds us. And in the mirror of this passage, I saw clearly, once again, my need to be shepherded by God. And I pray that's true of all of us as we look in the mirror of God's Word over the next month in these verses that we would see it as a mirror reflecting our constant need. There were a lot of truths that I need to be reminded of. And I bet you do too. I even just prayed through our, uh, our membership list this week with Psalm 23 kind of running in the background of my mind, just thinking through your lives, how it is that God might speak to you personally, specifically through whatever it is that you face and walk through. And that just made me all the more eager to gather together and to proclaim the gospel of Psalm 23. There is good news here for us. Um, I'm going to read every week probably some kind of uh, reiteration of Psalm 23 from somewhere in church history. And I'm going to begin with what I think is the very best. I would just commend you read this entire poem written by George Herbert in the 17th century. I'm just going to read to you verse 1 because it just focuses in on what we're looking at this morning. George Herbert wrote, The God of love... My shepherd is, and he that doth me feed. While he is mine, and I am his, what can I want or need? Just think for the, about those words, while he is mine, and I am his. Can you say those words? So here's the question before us as we begin Psalm 23. Can you say with complete honesty, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say those words this morning? The 23rd Psalm was written over 3,000 years ago by a shepherd named David, and he's singing to the true and better shepherd, the Lord Almighty. James Montgomery Boyce once wrote, This psalm is a masterpiece throughout but if ever a psalm could stand on almost a single line, it's this one. And the line it could stand on is the part which says, The Lord is my shepherd. So we'll be looking this morning at the first five words of this psalm's first line, which will also be the title of this sermon. My aim is simply to give us space to think and meditate on two great realities we find in these words. First, we'll highlight the Christian's confidence. And second, the Christian's comfort. So that's where we're headed. The Lord is my shepherd. 
looking at the Christian's confidence and the Christian's comfort. Let me invite you, if you would, to stand your feet once more as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. If you're holding a copy of the ESV in your hand, I want to invite you to read it out loud with me. And if you're not, just you can use whatever translation you want. Uh, but for the sake of continuity, we're all, I would like us to read this together. So if you could just, if you're holding a different translation of the Bible, uh, would you just look at the screens and let's recite this aloud together. You think we can do this? Yeah. Oh, we got this. All right, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you please be seated? So what I hope is that those words that we just read on this page leap off of that page and that we hide them in our hearts and they work their way through our lives as we meditate on these realities. And the first one I would like to draw your attention to is the Christian's confidence. The Christian's confidence. We begin by focusing on the words, the Lord to highlight the confidence of God's people has always been wrapped up in who God is and what God has done. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, you'll notice the word Lord is in all caps. We've seen this before already in our study of the Psalms. But just to remind you, when you see that in the Old Testament, it's letting you know that this is the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the divine unspeakable name of God. It's his self-revelation that God first uh, gave to his people back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. He is the Lord. I am that I am. And so that we're clear on who David is speaking to, on who he is saying his shepherd is, he uses the most sacred name for God, Yahweh, the uncreated one. The God of hosts, the King Almighty, the one who was and who is and who is to come. That's who his shepherd is. And it's no accident that the psalm begins with the Lord. So before our thoughts go anywhere else, let them fly here first. The first words of a hymn determine its subject, and this psalm begins with God. Above all things, first and foremost, this is a song about God. If we miss that, if we rush to the benefits of God, we miss Him, which means we miss everything. So the, uh, the psalm is teaching us what God is like toward His people. It's not just about these green pastures described. It's about the one who leads us there. 
It's not only the table being prepared before us in the presence of our enemies, but the one who is seated with us and hosting us at this table. It's more than the cup of blessing overflowing from our lives. It's the Lord who fills our cup, who fills our life with blessing to overflow. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So who is the shepherd of Psalm 23? The Lord God himself. Okay, so then, when we fast forward to the New Testament and look at Psalm 23 in the light of the New Testament, we can fill out this truth even more. Now, one of my heroes through church history is a pastor hymn writer named Isaac Watts. And around 1700, Watts began, began to write versions of the Psalms into English in a way that rhymed, in a way that had meter and rhythm to it so that we could sing them. Have you ever tried to just sing the Psalms? It's very challenging. And so Watts took the Scripture and translated it and made it all rhyme so that we could sing it. An example of that, like earlier today we sang Psalm 100. You might not have even known that, but that was the first hymn we sang this morning. It was actually a psalm. That thing was written over 500 years ago. Kids, that's even older than your grandparents. We're talking about a long, long time ago. And so this is what Watts was doing. And one of his desires as a songwriter was to, this is what he said. He said, I want to make David sing like a Christian. <laughs> what in the world? I want to make David sing like a Christian. What did he mean by that? What he meant is that he wanted to make sure that we sang the Psalms as Christians the way that the New Testament teaches us to. He, connecting what we see foretold in the Psalms of the one who is to come, now in light of the fulfillment of this hope that we have in Christ. Well, where did he get that notion from? Well, let me show you one place. Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking with two men, and he says in verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's the whole Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Don't forget, Jesus sang the Psalms. He had them memorized. He was well acquainted. And he's, he's walking with these guys and he goes, you know the Psalms. Well, that's great. You're good to know the Psalms. But don't miss that they all point to me. And so where do we see Jesus in Psalm 23? Well, perhaps some of you have already uh, hurried your thoughts toward Christ when we talk about this, the shepherd who is God. Who's already thought about Christ as the good shepherd here? Well, you're absolutely right. The New Testament clearly points to Christ as the, as the fulfillment, really, of all of the shepherd imagery of the Old Testament. And let me just show you a few other quick places. So one is Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. You might remember that from just you know, 20 months ago. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, which says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, or by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What is Matthew doing there? 
he's taking a prophecy from Micah chapter 6 and showing how Jesus, the Son of God, is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that Jesus is that shepherd. All right? How about some other places? John chapter 10, verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good, what? Shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus is called the great shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, Christ is called the chief shepherd. So when we look at Psalm 23 and show how he's calling, David is calling God his shepherd, we know that he's writing prophetically of Christ who would come, the true and better shepherd to come. Don't miss this, who also looked to Yahweh, submitting his life to knowing the shepherding care of his father while walking on earth. Christ fulfills Psalm 23. Christ is the only one who could perfectly sing Christ, uh, Psalm chapter 23. So all of these New Testament references to Jesus as the shepherd draws, pulls out this rich tradition of shepherd imagery from the Old Testament, including Psalm 23. And don't miss this. It's all pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. You want to think about a countercultural statement in this moment? That's it. Jesus alone is God. And that's what we see in Psalm 23. So what confidence is ours in these opening words? Brothers and sisters, the one who shepherds your life is none other than God alone. That is our confidence. For all of us who are in Christ, this truth is meant to bolster serious confidence in us. Why? Because this means we don't have to look for confidence anywhere else except there. Not in our resume, not in our performance, not in what kind of person we are. No, those are the self-help gospels of this world. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that our confidence is found in God alone. The one who loves and keeps you is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. The one who guides and protects your life is the one who rules and reigns over all things. And so our confidence is that our lives are held together and held securely in the sovereign hand of God. This is the Christian's confidence. This is the kind of confidence that David sings of in Psalm 23, or as we sang earlier, Know that the Lord is God indeed. He formed us all without our aid. We are the flock he surely feeds, the sheep by who his hand were made. The second great reality for us to enjoy in Psalm 23.1 is the Christian's comfort. So we talk about our confidence being in God. Now we look And uh, move our attention to the rest of this phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. That's where our comfort is found. That our shepherd is God and God is our shepherd. So already in the first 22 Psalms, we've heard David describe God many ways. He's collecting metaphors in order to express who God is. This is how God has made himself known to us. And every single word picture that God has given from his word is his self-disclosure to us. 
Why would he do that? Oh, he wants to be known. He means to be known. He means that we would know him. And so he speaks to us in a language that we understand. Stuff as simple as king and judge and maker and deliverer. Those are metaphors that we all are familiar with. And all of those things are wonderfully and perfectly true. You, you might just go through the first 22 psalms that we've already looked at and just collect the metaphors of how God speaks to us describing himself. But here, David describes God as his shepherd. And when David uses that word shepherd, it is no small matter. Martin Luther explains um, the way that he speaks in many other metaphors and then uniquely the way that he speaks when he calls himself the shepherd of God's people. This is what Luther wrote. The other names sound somewhat too glorious and majestic and bring, as it were, an awe and fear with them. This is the case when the scriptures call God our Lord, King, and Creator. This, however, is not the case with the sweet word, shepherd. It brings to the godly, when they read it or hear it, as it were, a confidence, a consolation, or security, like the word father. Uh, there were certain nights this week, like one night it was thundering at 3 a.m. and I was up. And I wanted to go back to sleep. And so I was turning those words over in my mind, the Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. Do you feel the kind of peace and rest that is in those words? The Lord is your shepherd. Let it not be missed on us that David was also a shepherd. When he was anointed the king of Israel, the Lord said to him, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. Or Psalm 78, 1 and 2, echoes how God chose David to shepherd the people of God. They wanted a king. God said, you have me. You don't need a king. They said, we want a king. God says, you can have a king. Here it is. And part of that king's job description was to shepherd, to pastor the people of God. But before David uh, was installed as the shepherd of all of the nation, his job was to shepherd the family's sheep. He's the youngest of many brothers, and it's always the youngest brother's job in this ancient culture to be the shepherd, the job that no one else wanted to do. But David, in being a shepherd, learned to know and feed and protect and lead the pasture of his family, the flock of his family. And here, David, the shepherd king of Israel, is saying, I know that I'm the shepherd of many sheep, but I'm also a sheep who has known the pastoral care of God all the days of my life. Like a foolish, dependent sheep, I've been led by God through all my days. And let's not forget uh, the full resume that David brings to this conversation. Let's not sanitize this psalm like this is for the people who can just keep their act together. This is for a few of God's special people. No, these are for those who are trophies of his grace that stand before him by grace alone. The one who says the Lord is my shepherd is the one who also committed adultery. 
The one who stands before God and calls to him is a cold-blooded murderer. And what about his family? Surely we need to be from like solid families to be able to say these words. Well, David's family was the epitome of dysfunction. Right? Even his own son spends years trying to murder him. And so this is a picture of a pastured life with God. And it's not exempt from our sin. It's not that we blush over or try to conceal our sin. This is also not a life free of pain or free of suffering to be able to talk to God like this. This is a picture of life knowing the faithfulness of God through it all. By using the word shepherd, David uses, Derek Kidner said, the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms. I think that's true. The most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms. So Christian, what does this mean for you? Breathe deeply. Rejoice. Rejoice. Even though you may be a sinful, stubborn, forgetful, foolish sheep, you are His. You are His. And He has chosen you and sought you, found you, called you by name, brought you to himself, and rescued you. So now that you will be cared for all of your days as his sheep, you are treasured and loved, bought and full. I think it's important just to note, as we travel to the Gospel of Matthew, our focus was on the identity of Christ and our identity uh, in light of who he is. So we said Jesus is the king who has come to bring and establish the kingdom, and we are the disciples of Jesus who follow and learn from and worship him. And that's absolutely right. It was right for us to highlight that throughout the entire gospel of Matthew. But let us not forget that we are also his sheep, led by him every step of the way. As a matter of fact, it's not so much that we are following him, but that he is leading us. It's not me white-knuckling and gritting my teeth to try to pursue and follow Christ. It's no him as a shepherd and me the stubborn, ignorant, foolish sheep that he is leading, leading into his tender care. So my prayer is that we each might pray the words of this psalm back to the Lord this month. Lord, be my shepherd. A wonderful thing for us to pray. I want to highlight the pronoun my, because I think the word my unlocks all of the richness of Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. This is a first-hand account. This is personal. Have you ever recognized just how personal this psalm is? Psalm 23 is given to all the people of God and at the same time is given to each of us personally. There are 28 first-person pronouns in these six verses. That's a whole lot. 
28 first-person pronouns in these six verses. Just notice all the times he says, he and me. This is not a small point. This is a massive point. I'm going to go to Martin Luther once again. Um, Not about Psalm 23, but just in his writing specifically, I believe in the book of Galatians. He says this, The sweetness of the gospel lies mostly in pronouns. Just think about that for a minute. The sweetness of the gospel lies mostly in pronouns. What do you think he means by that? Well, it would be one thing to pick up our Bibles and just to read things on the page about the salvation of God for other people in other places, or the salvation of God long ago, or the salvation to come in the future. But when the gospel becomes sweet to us, it's only because it's first become personal to us. This is meant for us. The Lord is my shepherd. And so for homework, let me invite you just to work through Psalm 23 and rehearse the pronouns that you find there in these verses. And let me remind us that no one is born with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, singing in their hearts. As a matter of fact, we do a great disservice to the beauty and wonder of this psalm if we pretend like it applies to all people. Like I was talking to David this week, and he said they learned this in eighth grade English. They were just studying it for its poetic value. But this is more about just poetry. There's more to this than just the beauty of the poetry. This is wanting us to experience God and the green pastures and the quiet waters and the protection of God in the valley of death is not for all people. It's only for those who have trusted in Christ alone. You see, David walked by faith in the coming of Christ and was saved. We look back on the completed work of Christ and are saved. But the only way to be saved and to know God is by trusting in Jesus Christ as the Savior. So we come to Christ in time, and then he puts these words in our hearts. So Christian, just think back on the comforts that you have known in the peaceful pastures of this life. Think about the presence of God that you have known in the valley of the shadow of death. And remember how Christ found you a lost and wandering sheep. Oh, he called your name. And he ran to you. Threw his arms around you. Threw your sorry butt up on his shoulder and carried you back to safety. It is a miraculous thing that Christ has done for us in making us his own. Recall how the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ laid down his life and died for us in order that he would be our shepherd both in this life and in the life to come. Recall how John chapter 10 verses 7 through 9 says, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You forget that. I do. I'm prone to look at the circumstances of my life, even these things that are really small, and start to get jittery about them. 
And then the Lord in his kindness reminds me, I am your shepherd. Or I look at the upcoming things on the horizon and start to get anxious about all the things that have to be done. And the Lord reminds me, Matt, I am your shepherd. Even as I look far into the future and what the, the uncertainty of this life and what these days hold, the Lord still has to remind me again and again, I am your shepherd. So maybe like me, you this morning need to be reminded that we have a good shepherd whose heart is for us, not against us. If, uh, if what I just said to you sounds really exclusive, it really is. It's the most exclusive thing that we could ever talk about. These promises of God are meant only for his people. That's meant to offend us so that we can come to the end of ourselves and say, I've tried to experience this kind of comprehensive care in my own life. I've looked for things to shepherd me, things like other relationships. I've looked for things like a career that I thought could shepherd me, all these external things, and nothing will. I've tried to shepherd myself and lead myself through this life and found again and again, I can't do it. And the more conversations you have like that going on in your mind, you're closer and closer to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says you cannot do it. There is one way to enter into the gate of God, and it's by Christ. I would encourage you, if, you're, if you find yourself today outside of the people of God, outside of the flock of God for which he died, I want you to spend time this afternoon reading through John chapter 10. And just asking the Lord, God, give me faith to see that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Savior of all mankind. And if your heart opens to that reality, I simply encourage you to profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and repent of your sins. You too, even you, as little Autumn said last week, hey you, chief of sinners, come on. There is no sin you've committed too great where the shepherd will not rescue you and forgive you. In years past, uh, there was this tradition where local newspapers would, would advertise upcoming sermons of local churches being preached on Sunday morning. I actually called my dad this week and asked him if, uh, if that ever was the case in his ministry. As if to say my dad's like 150 years old. You know? He's like, no, I'm way too young for that. Like, I don't think so. I think <clears throat> uh, Robert Morgan tells a story of Reverend R.I. Williams of Fairmont Park Methodist Church in Norfolk, Virginia, who called into this local paper to give them his sermon title, and this is what he said. The title of my sermon is, The Lord is My Shepherd. And the person on the other end of the phone said, is that all? And Reverend Williams replied, that's enough. And so the next day, uh, the local newspaper, if you turn to the church page, it read his sermon topic as, the Lord is my shepherd, that's enough. <laughs> I pray that we, as the people of God, his flock, the people whom he so dearly loves and treasures, 
who was bought with his own blood, that we would look to these words this morning, the Lord is my shepherd, and be convinced that's enough. It's enough. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every trembling sheep of yours that has gathered in this room this morning in need of confidence. And I pray that in your kindness and tenderness that you would fill their heart with faith and trust. You are the God who has rescued them. I pray for those of us who are still plagued with fear and doubt, anxiety, restless heart syndrome. God, we would find you, our shepherd, the comfort that we need. Forgive us for the many times we've looked other places for comforts. Let us go straight to the source and drink deeply of the fount of Christ. Comfort your people. I pray that as we look into the mirror of this chapter that we would see ourselves clearly both a people covered in the blood of Christ, fully accepted by a loving Father, and a people so utterly dependent on you that we're aware of, uh, of how great our need is and are forced to look to you, to depend on you as a shepherd of our souls. Teach us to say the Lord is my shepherd and that is enough. I pray in Christ's name, amen.